Yeah, what's up, guys? 12 days of replay. Stale bread, as we say. It's the holidays. Happy holidays, everyone. Hey, Jane, what are you doing for Christmas? I don't know, Buck. What are you doing for Hanukkahs? I'm not sure. Well, I'm going to the Mrs. Aunt's house, and we're going to have fruit roll-ups, and we're going to eat some donuts with sprinkles. Oh, really, Bob? Well, that's fucking great. Anyway, in this particular episode, it's the first episode of the Human Podcast Machine, and my man Edge, the rated R superstar, was my first guest. I wanted to come out of the box hot. This is when I was guest-driven, like all these other podcasts out there, before I evolved into audio on demand, and I became cool, daily live stuff, you know? So now, this is old school first ever Human Podcast Machine, the rated R superstar Edge, and the problem with this was... Uh, myself and Seth, who was the producer, I think it was my fault, not Seth's, messed up on the time because there was a time change gimmick because uh, Edge was up in uh, Nova Scotia shooting a TV show called Haven when he was on the gimmick. So uh, I had the wrong time, and uh, we got in touch with him way too early, but Edge being a badass, cool dude and a friend of mine, he jumped on anyway. We had a great conversation with Edge. It's awesome. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right, listen, uh, 12 Days of Replay, stale bread. Uh, hang on. From the Red Hook section of Brooklyn, New York, he's a three-time world heavyweight champion who ruled by intimidation. If you can survive if I let you. Taz would pick up guys nearly twice his size and drop them on their heads. He is a human suplex machine. Now he's bringing his no-nonsense New York swagger to the podcast world. This is Taz. The mood is about to change. The human podcast machine. All right, we are moments away from my very first guest right here on the human podcast machine. His name is the rated R superstar Edge, also known under his legitimate name as Adam Copeland. Very excited to have Edge on here, my first show. He's going to have some interesting comments about his visit, his recent visit to the WWE and uh, being on Raw and SmackDown and and then I think you'll be interested and intrigued a little bit to hear what he has to say. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's a little bit different than I thought, a little bit different take from Edge. I think you'll dig it. Uh, but first, I, I want to thank you guys for downloading and subscribing and giving me a shot right here. This is going to be great. I'm going to be out here every week. It's going to be cool. I want to thank you for downloading and or subscribing. Now, I want to briefly talk about what everybody's talking about in the wrestling world at this moment. And that is the big New Japan show that just happened, uh, which was uh, brought to us by uh, Global Force Entertainment, Global Force Wrestling, Jeff Jarrett's deal. And the show was called Wrestle Kingdom 9. And it was kind of cool in the United States, you know, on the East Coast, I should say, it was live at 2 a.m. You know, I mean, I have direct TV. That's how I grabbed it. I, I uh, put it on my DVR, watched it in the morning. I'm an old man, you know, so I can't be staying up till 2 a.m. That's a little rough. But I got up in the morning and watched it, checked it out. So I want to go over a little bit about what I, my thoughts, opinions, and views on Wrestle Kingdom 9. Look, man, if you didn't get this, I'd say buy it. Buy it somehow. Get it someplace on your TV set. It was great. I loved it. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. 
I mean, I worked, I had the opportunity years ago to work for New Japan Pro Wrestling many times, had many tours there, uh, had a blast there, never had the opportunity to work on any of their dome shows, but um, I'm telling you, uh, 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 just they exemplify what strong style is, that Japanese strong style, lay it in, punch in the face, drill you in the mouth, kick you in the nuts, that's their style, it's physical, you like physicality, you will dig Wrestle Kingdom 9, you will love it. So I just want to talk a little bit about a couple of the matches. Uh, I, I want to talk about AJ Styles' match with Naito. I thought that uh, that's the, the dude called Stardust, I thought it was awesome. I thought AJ looked great. Uh, uh, AJ, one, one, of the, one of the best pure athletes this industry has ever seen. I miss AJ and TNA. I miss calling his matches. I, I have nothing but respect for the guy. Uh, if I was still wrestling, I would, love, I'd love to, I would have loved to wrestle a guy like AJ or just wrestle AJ himself. He's awesome. And he still looks amazing, and just just his style really transcends greatly to the country of Japan into New Japan Pro Wrestling style. So that was definitely an awesome match. Really, really good stuff that AJ match. Also, the IWGP Intercontinental Championship match was off the chain, baby. I mean, I really loved it. The challenger Ayabusha against the champion, the King of Strong Style Nakamura. This Nakamura guy is awesome, man. I've seen him before. <clears throat> He's kind of like, in my opinion, the New Japan or the Japanese wrestling fan, uh, the Japanese wrestling version of the charismatic enigma Jeff Hardy. You know, it's like he's kind of like that. Kind of has that 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 crazy zany outlandish style. You never know what he's gonna do. Nakamura also has an amazing MMA background, which Jr. dropped that information on us. I, I you know I, I heard about that with him. And he brings a real physical, stiff style, but yet very entertaining guy is, is the Intercontinental Champion from IWGP, IWGP Intercontinental Champion, I should say, uh, Nakamura. I mean, just his little nuances with his hands, his face, very quirky and, and just strange and just, he's fun to watch, but yet he'll knock your teeth down your throat, you know, and the challenge of Ayabusa, I mean, this match was stiff. These guys just lit each other up left and right. Uh, it was a lot of fun watching this match. Uh, for sure, I re- I really enjoyed it. Uh, 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 and then the, the 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 listen, the main event with the with the with the champion Tanahashi going against the challenger Okada, Okada the Rainmaker, the the master of the drop kick. I mean, and 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 it's like he's got the best drop kick in the world. Well, then what these guys did, man, they built up to that. They went old style. They made you wait for a basic, simple move like a drop kick. And once they hit it, the place exploded. Okada, the challenger, his drop kick is, as advertised, amazing. And they hit it once in the match. Great psychology. They made you wait for it. They hit it late in the match. And it was off the chart. It was great. And it's like old school, man. Make you wait for a body slam back in the day and people would pop. Or an arm bar or whatever, a hip toss. And that's what this was. In this day and age of all these crazy high-flying moves you see on wrestling in anywhere, uh, especially in this, this Wrestle Kingdom 9 show, and a plethora of suplexes by everybody and submission holds and all this crazy stuff and this crazy physicality, a drop kick gets a massive pop. Tip your cap to New Japan Pro Wrestling and Okada and Tanahashi and, and, and for putting that together like that. And, and that's another thing. Look, look at Tanahashi. Could you imagine today... In this day and age, in, in TNA or WWE or Ring of Honor or whatever, I mean, if a guy was playing air guitar, 
<laughs> God, some of the wrestling reporters would destroy the bigger companies in the United States for something like that. They would destroy the writers and the creative and whatever. But yet, Tanahashi does it, and it, it's over like pancakes, man. God, it was hysterical. The guy's playing air guitar. Who would have thought of this? It's the stupidest, craziest thing I've ever seen, but it gets over. It works. It's entertaining. It's funny. And, and that's the Japanese style. They do some different type stuff, like kind of weird entertainment. And, and um, the air guitar thing is crazy. And, and the, the champion Tanahashi, he retained his championship in another very physical matchup. A lot of emotion in that matchup. I really enjoyed that. You know, if you're talking about uh, 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 New Japan Pro Wrestling and, and, and Wrestle Kingdom 9 and Global Force Entertainment, Jeff Jarrett, you got to talk about the Bullet Club. The Bullet Club is getting over huge. I mean, it's, 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 it's obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's a version of the NWO, for lack of better terms. I mean, they do the too-sweet thing, the hand thing, the whole deal, and it's over. It's huge. People love it in the United States. People love it in Japan, all over the world, the U.K. Everybody loves it. Their merchandise selling great, all this stuff. Um, uh, you know, and, and again, I, I got to say, not to be negative, I'm being real here. If the WWE or TNA did a complete ripoff of the NWO or, or one of the more famous uh, popular factions, <clears throat> these companies would get ripped. But yet, you know, New Japan does it and eh, it's all good. Am I burying New Japan? No, I'm not. I'm saying it's a little bit of a double standard. And, and same thing with some of these matches. The earlier matches in this pay-per-view, a couple of them were a little, you know, it was a little sloppy. So, I mean, but that happens in any pay-per-view. That's part of the business. I mean, uh, uh, Ishii uh, uh, against uh, uh, Makabe, you know, uh, uh, it was two big rugged dudes. And there was some spots in there. There was some striking blows that were a little bit, uh, I don't know about this, you know. And, and, and but yet, you know, people think it's great. You know, people here in the United States or... Wrestling purist. I mean, you know, if, if if TNA or WWE put that out there or, or Ring of Honor or Lucha Underground, some people might bash it. So that's a little bit of a double standard. Let's be careful of the double standards. You know what I mean? Let's have an even playing field when we're going to judge wrestlers and promoters and, and, and writers and, and announcers. Let, let, let's keep that on an even keel. Let's be as fair as we can. We know life isn't fair, but let's try to be a little fair. Double standards, well, they suck. So, you know... um. Um, but I, I, I like the physicality of Ishii and Makabe, but, but it was a little bit rugged. And Makabe, you know, it, it's, it's, it was kind of cool because they, they really sold the fact that he, he was a big fan of Bruiser Brody, the late great Bruiser Brody. And, and even to the little nuances with, um, with, with his entrance music what was, was a version of Bruiser Brody's old music when he would wrestle in Japan, uh, a song called The Immigrant Song by the great Led Zeppelin. And, and that's what they did there with Makabe's music. It was the Immigrant Song tweaked up a little bit. It was very cool. So if you go, uh, go on iTunes or Google or whatever you find your music, for those younger people listening to this right now, uh, the Immigrant Song was a great song by Led Zeppelin. That's what Bruiser Brody used, and that's what Makabe used, a version of that. So whoever does their music did a good job tweaking that up. But here I am. I'm giving, like, music uh, breakdown now. What the heck's this about? That'll probably be the last time you hear that on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> So anyway, so that's my deal with the Wrestle Kingdom 9 show. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I, I, uh, congratulations to, to Global Force and, and, you know, and Jeff Jarrett and company and New Japan and, and everything. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was great to hear JR's voice again on commentary. He sounded great. Uh, that was cool. I mean, you know, and, and, uh, and that's the deal. So coming at you in a couple seconds here with the Rated R Superstar Edge. My man will be here shortly. And also, 
Also, I forgot to mention this, uh, after the Edge interview, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit and tell you guys what happened when I debuted at Master Square Garden for the WWE and what actually happened when I went through the curtain after the match and the next day. So stay, stay tuned right here. Rated R Superstar Edge coming at you. We'll be right back with the warm, cuddly, fuzzy Taz. The Human Podcast Machine. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Oh, so it's you, the White Lotus, chief of the Lotus Clan. My whole purpose here is to kill you both. All right, as I said, we are ready to rock and roll with the man himself, the rated R superstar Edge, and the topic will be typecasting struggles from wrestling to mainstream entertainment. So without any further ado, I would like to welcome my guest, the esteemed, the man himself, one of my very close friends, I don't have many, his name is Edge, a.k.a. Adam Copeland. Edge, what's up, bro? How's it going, buddy? Long time no chat. Good gosh, it's been a long time, man. I mean, a real it's got to be, I don't know how many years, maybe eight, eight nine years? Easily, easily. You know, because, I, I, gosh, I've been out here in Halifax for like four, more or less. Had a baby. All kind, I mean, it's just been nuts. It has been nuts. And I'll tell you, so how can I refer to you as one of my very good friends when I haven't talked <laughs> to you in like seven, eight years? But, you know, it, but it is one of those things, and I've always said, with the road life, with with you know whether it's in a band whether it's a wrestler whether it's an actor whatever it is any kind of entertainment like that you can just pick up where you left off That's like a great it's point. like throwing on an old shoe and you realize not to take it personally like i know okay i haven't talked to taz in seven years but i know as soon as i saw him we'd be like the bro hug and like <laughs> man that's what's new um so it's one of those deals, like even now when people are on the road and I haven't heard from them for like six or seven months, I'm like, yeah, I get that because it feels like six or seven days. Yeah. Well, and you know this, I mean, uh, uh, from being in the business, the wrestling business, as long as you have and I have, you know, and fans out there listening to this who have downloaded this might not, might not know this, but when wrestlers leave a certain federation or territory to go somewhere else and they say goodbye to a fellow wrestler who's staying there, they always say, as you know, Edge, see you down the road. And it, it, that's yeah. the truth. Yep, it really is, and that's one thing, I even with this acting thing I learned, like, I'll work with a director for an episode, and he goes, okay, well, I'll see you down the road. Same thing, huh? you'll wow. probably end up working together at some point, and, you know, it's like he'll be directing something else that I do, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll probably see you in a couple of years, and it'll feel like two months. So I gotta ask you, man, what was it like being back smack dab in the middle of WWE programming again? Well, you know, part of my deal is... Uh, if I'm going to come back, I want to. I want to be able to further something. I want to be able to be a part of helping a storyline along, or helping somebody get heat, or helping somebody get over. You know, um, I, I can't do anything physical anymore. You know, I can't wrestle a match. You can't get heat on me. You know, so there's still a way to do it. And if it's a creative, cool way to do it, then I, I'm all in. So when they pitched the idea, I was like, "That's that's really cool." okay, yeah, hopefully this will uh, get some steam on the kid, you know? So if I can come back and, and do things like that, then, then I'm all for it. I don't ever want to be the guy that just comes back to do, you know, kind of a quick little talk show gimmick and, you know, for nostalgia's sake. 
Um, I've always kind of wanted to do it, and that's why I don't go back too often. You know, usually once a year or something. It's like, okay, what can it further? Can can we get something out of this for somebody? Um, and that's what it felt like the other night. You know, I, I think it went on too long, and I think that's just um, you know, at, at some point, Cecil. Oh, you mean you mean on on Raw? You felt like that? Yeah, I believe I think you're right. That Big Show had you held down by your throat too long. I got to say, I mean, yeah. speaking on behalf of probably a lot of fans, uh, hundreds of thousands or millions or whatever, it was scary. It was scary just seeing. <laughs> I know Show and how big his hands on the power, him holding you down <laughs> and having those neck neck issues, man. I think people were terrified. Well, you know, it, my it actually was pretty stiff after. I was like, man, oh. Jeez, but it's like ah. just from the aspect of uh, you know feeling the crowd and everything, it just it, as a performer, you're like, man, this is going on too long. It's it's we had them, we're losing them, and the the thing with it is, you know, he's new to those positions, so he'll learn. And the only way to to give guys those shot in the arms and to get them to learn is to put them in those positions, and eventually, and he's a smart guy, so he'll pick it up. You know what I mean? He's a talented guy, so he'll pick it up and he'll listen for the crowd and somebody will buzz him and tell him. But it's one of those deals where the next time it'll be that much better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely a talented so kid. Seth, I'm a fan of Seth Rollins, and you know, and he's not some green kid, but I, being on that type of level, that type of stage, with a guy, guys to your level of yourself and Christian, that had to be a, a little bit of an eye-opener for him also. Yeah, you know, and it's one of those deals where it was a busy night for him. And... You know, you got six segments or whatever, and then all of a sudden you got this, you know, promo segment and a pretty big deal and a catalyst to a storyline and all of that. And, and initially it can be a lot, you know, being, you know, kind of one of the standard bears or a top heel or however you want to put it. Um, but you grow into it. And the good thing is they're, they're giving guys shots now. They have to. They're giving them an opportunity to do this and not just pulling the rug out if it doesn't necessarily go quite as good as it could have, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, you know, I, I really like trying to bite into the aspect of, like, you know, Edge is completely a character. And where people get confused and the lines of reality get blurred is that the character of Edge has a bad neck, just like Adam does. So... But a lot of times you're like, man, you're laying there forever. Didn't you? It weakened your character. And it's like, well, it's a character, and it's a character that has neck issues. So it totally makes sense. Right. And for me, it's like, man, I get to dip into some acting chops here and try and, you know, uh, bring in elements of that into this whole thing. So, well, uh, well, bro, I, let I, me ask you a question. What was it like backstage? Has things changed a lot since, you know, you, you were there? Um, I think it, it's. It's more micromanaged. Um, ah, oh, my God. I, I think, is, is that possible? I think that, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would be the thing. Oh. It's just, and mind you, I, I'm an outsider coming in, right? So I'm sure it's different from for me than someone who's there all the time and might not think that. Uh, you know, ask a guy like Kane, and he would know better because he's been there the whole time. You yeah. Know? Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, I think there's a little bit of, you know, young guys afraid to take chances um, because of the micromanagement. And, uh, but I mean, to me, the locker room seemed good. You know, everybody seemed happy and it, and it is, it's a new crop of guys that are, that are getting shots between, you know, Luke Har- Harper, I think is like the most talented guy or the guy I enjoy watching the most at this point right now. 
and then you got Eric Rowan, and you got Bray Wyatt, you got Roman Reigns, and you got Ambrose, and you got a lot of guys that are really stepping up. Um, so it feels like, to me, it, it didn't feel like you know locker room morale was lower. Everybody seemed pretty pretty uh, excited because of the new it's a new crop of guys. I, I got to tell you, bro, when I you know we just doing a show prep. You know, knowing you were going to be on the show once once I invited you and you were gracious enough to say you're in, which is awesome, and I thank you for that. I got to tell you, looking at your uh, accolades and your history and your accomplishments uh, in the WWE, if we could just jump into that for a second. I mean, I, I believe you're a WWE champion four times, a world heavyweight champion seven times, WCW champion once, uh, Intercontinental champ five times, tag team champion 12 times, WWE tag team champion two times, and a WWE Hall of Famer. I, I got to tell you, bro, I knew you were over. I didn't know you were that over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just right place, right time, man. You know, it was. Uh, it, it ended up being one of those deals where I think at some point they knew they could rely on me, you know, and, and uh, when you know you can rely on somebody to kind of come through, whether you put them in there, you know, with – big show or whether you put them in, you know, with Cena, um, you become kind of a utility player. Um, and that's like the ultimate compliment, right? No so, doubt. And that's I, what I want to just say. Like, so, so the thing is, like, w- with the wrestling business, I'm going to get into the topic in a second about the typecasting jazz and all that, but about the, what you just <laughs> said, you kind of triggered me on something when you said they, like the office, WWE, knew they could trust you. And, and, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand, like, you know, sure, they know our business for the most part. It's a work. We got it. It's a show. It's entertainment. But when you become a champion – of any sorts, it's a huge deal. Not a big deal, a huge deal because the company is showing they have faith in you as a performer. They have faith in you as a professional. They have faith in you as a person. They're, they're, they're you know, you're, they're making you a hood ornament, and you've had such a plethora of success. I mean, I got to tell you, just seeing it on paper, highly impressive. Thanks, man. It, uh, you know, I never really paid attention to it as it was happening. It was just kind of like. Uh, it just kind of happened, and then when uh, when they put me in the Hall of Fame, that's when you know they they kind of rolled it down. I was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like yeah. I, I didn't kind of realize until it was all over and said and done um, how much stuff happened, you know. And and really, gosh, uh, just getting to the WWE for me was you know I was like, "Okay, I made it." Yep. You know, if nothing else, I made it. And then you, you slap on all that t- stuff on top, and it's like, you know, it's a big pile of mashed potatoes with a lot of gravy on it. Well, yeah, <laughs> I like the analogy. And, and I got to tell you, <laughs> you, you, you know, they fed you the meal and you ate it, and you ate the daylights out of it, and fans ate you up, you know, and the success you had, you and Christian, obviously, and then with Christian's success on his own, with you, obviously, success on your own, it just, it, it throughout the time, I know when I came into WWE, I, I, I believe you they, You started in WWE around 1997-ish in that world. I started yeah. in 2000, and I know you kind of was set in your role there. I didn't know you. I never met you and Christian before. And when I came in, you know, I came in with a lot of hype, you know, for the whole ECW thing and the garden and all that. And and it was, I knew I was coming to a locker room that was set. But you know, it's, yeah. And you know as well as I, bro, that's a tough thing sometimes. And... Uh, you and Christian, you know, you guys were always so cool with me, made made me feel welcome, and, and I know I spoke to the Dudleys about that too, and they were like, how cool you guys were, and that was a big deal to me. You helped my transition. Well, you know, we always looked at it as, uh, we always base everything, and Jay and I both had the mindset, we base everything on how we're treated by a, a person, not, you know, uh, 
okay, well, somebody was a big deal in another locker room, or yeah, it just didn't matter to us. So it's like, cool, if they're here, whoever that is, they're here to make money. We're all here to make money, and we can make it together. Yeah. You know, we can get in and tear it up together. That's how we looked at it. We never looked at anything as a threat. We always looked at it as another tool in our in our tool belt to be able to, you know, because I'd look at somebody when I'd see them come in the locker room, oh, I got a new tool. Awesome. Yeah. Good point. I, I can I can make some serious stuff with that tool. But you know um, as well as me, bro. Uh, you know, Edge. A lot of a lot of the boys in the business, it's different. They look. It's a paranoia, and they look at us. They're yeah. so competitive, which I respect. And then you're competitive. I'm comp- We're all competitive, but there's also security in your abilities. And by you just saying that, you and Jay, you know, Christian, that that that. Hey, that's a tool. That's someone can help us draw more money. That shows the confidence you had back then in that company. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Like, when we saw the Dudleys come in, we were like, okay, here it is. Here's our our, our evil triptych. You know, we got the Hardys, we got us, we got the Dudleys. By the way, how often are you going to get triptych in a conversation? No, not but, much. I'm, consider that stolen, by the way. <laughs> but uh, we were like, okay, this is it. This, this is, you know, now we got the... You know, uh, for lack of a better term, we got, you know, the Rockers with the Hardys. You got mm. the Heart Foundation kind of deal maybe with us or Brain Busters. Yep. And now you've got the LOD. Nice. So yeah. that's how we looked at it. It's like, but we'll take it, you know, to stupid, ridiculous lengths because we're all young and stupid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, the rest is history, I guess. Well, yeah, and it's beautiful history. I mean, the stuff that, that speaking of those teams, I mean, the Dudleys and, and the Hardys and, and Edge and Christian. I mean, what, what the magic that you guys created. I wasn't even looking to get into that topic, but now you know. I, we, I, I guess fans out there of yours need need to hear about that a little bit. I mean, so maybe take us behind the scenes of some of those table ladders and chair matches and, and all the insanity and kind of bringing that hardcore feel, you know, to the forefront in the world of the WWE during that Attitude Era and whatnot. Well, it, you know, it was interesting because, like, uh, b- before the Dudleys got there, we had started doing, uh, we had an idea with the Hardys because uh, we were four guys that, at that point, you know, Rock was just starting to fire on all cylinders. Austin was. You, you, it was a loaded show. So we're like, okay, what can we do to be different? What can we do that these guys can't do? And we knew it was going to be the risks that we would take. Um, you know, because we didn't have the mic time, we didn't have the, the, you know, the backstage vignette time. So we knew we had to do it with the crazy stuff that we would do to get people to go, oh man, we got to watch those guys. So we, we came up with the concept of the tag team ladder match and that kind of set the whole ball rolling. And then it became this, this kind of tsunami, you know, and it just, it built and it built and it built. And then the Dudleys came in and the Hardys and Dudleys did the table match. And I was like, okay, we've established the ladders. Now the tables are established. If we pick up the chair thing, now we got three weapons, three teams. And, you know, it was, uh, it was just one of those happy accidents, yeah. man. You just you you, you catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah, perfect and storm, right? Perfect storm, bro. That's that's basically yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, and you hold on to that lightning bolt as long as you can, you know. And and it ended up burning all of us at some point. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it didn't. I know, it, you know bumping off the ladders eventually caught up to me. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, but you, you don't look back and go, okay, I wouldn't have done that. It's like, whew, that was awesome. Yeah, and that feeling you can't explain to anyone. And, and just to backtrack a little, when you mentioned about the Dudleys and, and what they did with the Hardys, and then you guys jumping into that fray, was, was there any ECW influence being that what the Dudleys were coming out of? I'm sure there had to be a little feel there with you guys when you were coming up with your matches and concepts to be different. Well, you know, part of what we, like, we always kept track of everything, you know, so we would always think of how we could integrate new stuff into the WWE, because at that point, it was kind of like, they'd let you do whatever you wanted to do, and uh, in terms of matches, so we just started taking more risks and everything, and that was the style of the day, because, you know, ECW was exploding, and it, uh, you know, it was just, it was a time to, to take more risks, at least for us. Yeah. And when, when the Dudleys got there, we had, you know, six people of the same mind that, you know, and you get six young dudes that are, you know, chewing concrete, just ready to show the world what they can do. And, uh, you know, and then you see what they can do. And, and, and we did didn't it. have handcuffs. You got on, you guys did it. You exploded. And that, I'll tell you what, how to be a bitch to follow those matches. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, that's how I think, you know, because I wasn't one of the guys doing that type of stuff, but how to follow that stuff. But, but I got to tell just really backtrack a little bit, something you said. And if there's any young wrestlers listening to this or potential wrestlers or current wrestlers, you know, younger guys that are maybe on TV, I mean, what you just said, Edge, by saying you understood that you, you didn't have the mic time or the push or the backstage stuff that maybe Rock or Austin or Taker or whatever, what have you. So what you guys did, you had to find something to be different. And when you said that, that triggered me because unfortunately I feel that's what's missing from our business today. Well, you know, it's, I, I think there's handcuffs today that there wasn't then. So I think even if people do think of things to try and be different or if they do start trying things, it could get kiboshed, you know, the, it, and if you'd never get a chance to see if it would work or not. Um, but that was always the challenge. It's like, okay, even if it was a storyline, and especially when, it, when I kind of started breaking out on my own, I... You know, they tell me, a, you know, an idea, and I was like, well, okay, well, that's not great. <laughs> How do I make it great? How do, what, what do I find in this that I can commit to? Because if I can commit to any small part of it, I can make it work. Uh, and that really was, was my mindset. No matter what they gave me, I'd find something in there. You know, I'd, I'd wipe away all the dirt and find that one little golden nugget that I could commit to. And um, no matter what, I always tried to find that. And if I could, I could commit to it and I could make it work. Well, I think that that too is something that's... uh, I've always felt that way myself. I never thought of it the way you just laid it out. I think that was just like... Some of us back in our generation of wrestlers, I think we had to think that way. But to hear you explain it like that, I think that could help several or a bunch I should say of younger newer generation wrestlers because maybe they don't think that way but let me ask you Ed so when when you were told you couldn't wrestle anymore and it kind of was over due to injury I mean did you immediately like instantly start thinking about acting and and did you have a goal in mind in regards to that no actually it was a total happy accident had had no aspirations had no no designs to to be an actor you know I had done 
WWE in 99 said, do you want to do a small part in a Highlander movie? I was like, yeah, sure. And it was fun, but I wanted to be a wrestler. You know, about a year after that, I had a production company in Canada say they wanted to write a TV series for me, but I'd have to quit wrestling. I was like, no, I want to be a wrestler. Or, and I am now a wrestler in the WWF, so I'm not leaving. Right. And, uh, so things like that would come throughout the years. And, um, yeah, eventually WWE then, you know, they had their movie division. They said, you want to do a movie? And I was like, well, yeah, I can maintain the wrestling schedule and do that. Sure, it'll be fun. Why not? Uh, but that's really all it ever was to me. It was just kind of a, a little hobby, I right. guess, uh, that, that just kept falling in my path. And I'd pick it up and shine it up a little bit and go, okay, that's a fun new toy. But wrestling's my main toy. Right. Well, and again, it's because when you were wrestling, and I was in the same boat, so I, I think I know where you're coming from, and I don't know if a lot of people realize this, fans might not get this, but you do wrestle for somebody like a WWE, uh, during, especially if you're full-time, it's not a job, it's not a career, it's a friggin' lifestyle. I'm, it's am a, I right it's a life. Bro? <laughs> no, it's, it's an absolute life. It consumes everything. Um, every waking minute, even when you get home. Because when you get home, let's say on Wednesday, you get home in the middle of the day, late in the afternoon, it's probably throw the laundry in, do that, book your next trip, your rental cars, your hotels. Then maybe Wednesday night you crash, you have Thursday to yourself. Yep. And then I remember it. it's out again Friday, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that makes for so such it, an ease, that makes for such an easy home life, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that always works out oh, well, yeah. you know. <laughs> you miss it, though, bro? You miss being in the ring competing or not really? Uh, no, I don't, you know, because because the, the, the book was closed on me, because it was, you know, WWE said, we can't clear you to do this. You know, if they had left the door open and said, mm, it's up to you, it's, it's iffy, but it's up to you, well, then it would have been much more difficult. Yeah. But I got the call. And and Vince said you're done. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, Vince. Vince actually got, called you. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. He called me and told me, and he said, you know, this is the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. But wow, your career's over. And when when you hear that, I never, it, bro. It, I didn't know. I didn't know that 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 that's how that went down. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, you know, defended the world title at WrestleMania. When did TV in Charlotte did commentary, whatever? We got the commentary. MRIs Wait, you couldn't have been as good as me. Come on. Oh, probably not. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. But. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, man, got the MRIs the day after Mania, just as a kind of see what's going on in there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I got the call midway through the week. Wow. I'd just gotten home from SmackDown. You know, I drove home because we were in Charlotte. So I drove to Asheville. I got home. I was like, all right, cool. You know, just relaxing. Kind of had a feeling something was up with the neck. Didn't know to what extent. But right. then I got that phone call. And, you know, the book was closed. So I had to, you know, realize, okay, that's it. Right. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no, you know, kind of hemming and hawing. Do I got one more in me? Uh, do I got another run? There wasn't that. It was, I had a great long run. That's how I look at it. Man, I'm going to retire and grow a big-ass beard. That was the plan. <laughs> and you got a haircut. And, uh, then you get a haircut, which was crazy. I mean, you got the crazy, you had the crazy edge hair. Now it's gone. I, um, I, I know. I, I cut it the night before the Hall of Fame. And uh, actually, Natty Neidhart filmed the haircut. Um, <laughs> and my face went all flushed and everything. Oh, man. We, we got the video of it. You probably went to convulsions. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of that, you know. I was Rob Zombie showed up, started saying, hey, "Am I the ring?" What are you like, doing, man? <laughs> 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 
That's great. Um, I, I got to tell you, like, I, as far as when I ask you, do you miss being in a ring? Because I get asked that question all the time. I don't miss it. I don't. I, I, I left due to neck injury, too, different than the way you went down because mine was kind of a, <clears throat> a gradual, you're done, you know, and, and segue into yeah. another career. But I don't miss it at all. I, I don't. I'm, I'm so happy. I mean, I wish looking at your, your championship reigns on paper, I wish I had your push, but that's another story. <laughs> it was. Yeah, uh, it, it was. Uh, it was. I remember. I remember. Before we get into the topic, I want to just talk about a story, bro. And you're going to remember this. You and I were driving. I, I want to say from maybe like I don't know, San. I don't remember where we were. We we're going to LAX, and okay. you, were, you were driving, and we had 311 on. You were the first, I love 311, and you introduced me to them. By the way, thank you for that. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and we're driving. I fall asleep, shocking, and <laughs> I, I wake up, and we are in, like, the hood in South Central. <laughs> and you got lost, and you, and I, I'm driving with this six-foot-five, blonde-haired, good-looking Canadian dude in South Central L.A. Not good. So, <laughs> you remember now, that? This was pre-GPS. Yes. This was when you got you ran McNally out and, and went, okay. Uh, and you pull over in the gas station and go, how close are we? Oh, shit. And for those out there that are young, Rand McNally is a map. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I should, yeah, I should have prefaced that. Gosh. <laughs> I woke up, I looked at you, I go, bro, this is not LAX. You go, yeah, this isn't, we're, we're kind of lost. I'm like, yeah, a little. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I let's, think let's between the two this. of us, though, we'd have enough cred to get by. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I think we'd been all right if we had to knuckle up. So, uh, <laughs> so, so check it out, right? So this whole typecasting thing that I want to talk to you about, I know you had to experience some of these struggles going from the wrestling business into mainstream entertainment, uh, and obviously all your success you're having, and we'll talk about the TV series Haven on the Sci-Fi Network, everything you're doing, and your role. We'll get into that in a second, but let's talk a little bit about that. Let fans know the pluses and negatives of coming out of, you know, being typecasted from pro wrestling. Well, it's interesting. You know, uh, it, it was due to wrestling that I got the part on Haven, because the producers of Haven uh, wanted a tie-in from SmackDown because they're on the same network they are back to back and they watched my retirement speech mm. and and they they saw basically you know I'm ending what I did my entire adult life and it was real I, I didn't have a script I just went out there and talked and they went that guy's good can we get him mm. and and um, that was that was it you know really? uh, that's how that started now in having conversations with the actors on the show after it was it was funny because Emily Rose is the the star of the movie or the show I should say and uh, she said you know when I first heard we were getting a wrestler I thought it was going to be you know like a hairy guy in a singlet like that was going to be the 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 typecast and then she met me and we would talk and she was like well I did not expect this at all so there is still that misconception that. And it's and it's slowly but surely being eroded away because of Dwayne, because yeah. of Dave, because of guys getting out there and showing that we can formulate sentences and we can speak, <laughs> and that wrestling is an amazing training ground because no matter what you say, we're in front of a camera. Yep. So uh, you know, I've used the analogy. It's the same tree. It's just a different branch. Oh no, that I've always felt. I've always felt that we <clears throat> from the wrestling business are a hybrid of an athlete, a stuntman, and an actor. 
and yeah. and, and that's kind of you know I, I think for a guy like you or a guy like like Rock you know Dwayne and and Batista and for you guys to break out to the level you are is a testament because I remember man I ran I know you do too. Um, when Rock was trying to really jump into the acting thing, and he'd be in a locker room and getting his teeth whitened, and he had this special style. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He goes, well, I got this style. I'm like, what are you whitening your teeth? Now look at him. I'm making fun of his teeth. And next thing you know, the guy's a multi-zillionaire. So, yeah, he's arguably the biggest movie star in the world. Yeah, and I'm making fun of his teeth like an idiot in like Milwaukee. <laughs> Like, what's wrong with this bitch? You know, so no, but he, you, do you remember? Like, he went through a lot, man. It was tough for him. He didn't just become some big star. No, no, he put in work. You know, and and uh, that's one thing that that I've learned is you're kind of starting over. Uh, the the where you aren't, and one of the huge bonuses of the wrestling career is that you have a fan base already. You have put in the work, and you have you know, done something to connect with a lot of people for whatever reason they've connected with you. That fan base, there's no more loyal fan base than a wrestling fan base. And they will follow you and give you a, they'll let you try whatever you want to try as long as you don't turn your back on them. And um, as long as you come back and show, hey, you know, I'm still here. And, And that's one of the things with mine, I think people realize, like, I didn't have a choice. So it wasn't like I was turning my back on them and becoming an actor because I was tired of wrestling. It was like, hey, I, what am I going to do? You know? Um, so that that's the, well, a huge bonus that comes with wrestling is the fan base that follows Well, the built-in, that built-in audience that you have even just as a per performer that has their, their niche fan base or their, their locked-in loyal fan base, <clears throat> to your point. But, you know, I, I got to say, like, so you kind of, I don't want to say, um, how do I word this? Not that you got lucky. You kind of fell into a good spot where totally. they spotted you and felt that you fit something that they had, basically. Is that, that's kind of yeah. more or less what happened, right? That, that's how it happened. And initially, it was, I always say, you know, the door will be cracked open. you got to kick it off the hinges yourself at some point. Oh, yeah. And the way I looked at it is, okay, this is, this is my crack. You know, first of all, I didn't know whether I was really going to enjoy it and if I wanted to continue following it. And then I did four, the first episode, halfway through the first scene, I guess they made a call back to the studios in LA and they said, can we get this guy for more? Well, more became four episodes for that season. And then I wasn't sure whether I was going to come back the next season. They asked me back. I said, okay, I'll do it. After that, that second season that I did, which was season three, uh, I really enjoyed it because I had seven episodes this and, time. And they amped up your role as, as the, uh, from, you kind of, why don't you talk a little bit about Haven and, and the character, Dwight Henderson and all, and just get into that a little bit. So for those that aren't familiar with it, it's kind of a freaky, kind of a weird show there. Why don't you explain yeah, that a little bit? It's based on a Stephen King uh, short story, a novella uh, called The Colorado Kid. The producers got it and they took it and ran and created it. Well, I think I worked with The Colorado Kid in Memphis in 83. <laughs> he had a great mullet. I'm joking. <laughs> I had to do, I had to do it. I'm sorry. It was just a layup. <laughs> well played. Well played. Right, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, you know, I, I came on in this kind of bit role that I think was just going to be kind of a one-off because the character um, attracts bullets, and he found out in Afghanistan as an army ranger. And the whole idea with this town of Haven is that everybody, and not everybody, but a lot of people have troubles. And uh, for whatever reason, and that's what each season kind of starts to unveil a little bit more, is that this town has this 
something going on with it that's supernatural, that's from another world, and these people are kind of cursed, for lack of a better term. Black cloud um, kind of hanging over it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and each season it gets you know deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's it's sci-fi. So if you pick it up season three, you're going to be lost. But if you watch kind of the mythology of it unfold from season one, um, it, you know it's pretty cool. It's based more or less it's a love story at the end of the day. So nice. I think that's why it has such a big female fan following too. Um, but yeah, my character was just kind of, uh, I think it was meant to be a one-off that turned into four episodes that turned into the next season. After that second season that I did, I went, you know what? I'm really enjoying this. Right. This is fun. Nice. I- I'm going to, I'm going to take classes. I'm going to put the work in now. I'm going to do my, the due diligence on my end so that, you know, I'm not just phoning it in. I'm not just showing up and happy to be here. I don't want to just be happy to be here. I don't want to just be a good actor for a wrestler. I, I just want to be a good actor. You know, so I started putting the work in. I came back for my third season, and they went, you know, kind of turned some heads, and they wrote more. And then came back for this season once again, continued working throughout the year. And and uh, my characters, you know, there's the the three main characters, and now there's four main characters because Dwight has become a main character. And it's been fun to put that work in and realize that by putting the work in, they're giving me more responsibility. But you know, see, I have to do some uh, heavy lifting now. Yes, and and congrats on that. And see, the thing is, the key, in my opinion, is what you said, the work. It's the work ethic. I feel uh, you probably, like, <laughs> you know, it was instilled in you from the wrestling business. And, and I think yeah. that's something that you segued. I think anybody who's getting success outside of the wrestling business to s- succeed at the level you succeeded in that in that shock tank during that era that I was in with you, you know, in the WWE. Yeah. And it was a friggin' shock tank, bro, as you know. Yep. And to succeed there, you got to know how to do a lot of little things. You got to know how to work hard is the number one thing. You got to know how to pay your dues. You got to know how to eat crow. You got to know how to politic a little bit. You got to know how to do business, as we call it. And it sounds like you segued that right into your goals as an actor. Well, that was, you know, back to the the training that wrestling gives you. It trains you in all of that. and. You know, one of the, the biggest compliments that I would get because every episode is a different director, and they're just like, "You're so easy to direct," because coming from a world like that, you know, I'd get on a set, I have a script, yeah, and I have a meal waiting for me in my trailer, and my clothes are hung up. Well, hell yeah, I'll be easy to direct. <laughs> you, know? you guys are treating me great. You got it. What, what do you need? Well, you know? yeah, um, you get humbled, right? Being in the business, the wrestling business, that humbles you. Oh, yeah, and it's a constant humbling throughout. And and thats I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because, you know, segueing into this and essentially kind of starting from scratch, like I lucked into a TV series, which is kind of crazy, and I've been working solid, which for actors is also pretty crazy. So I realize there's a huge element of, like, right place, right time. Um, but it wouldn't have kept going if I didn't have the wrestling training, if I didn't put the work into this new avenue. Um, it would have closed. It would have been, okay, first season done, and there goes Dwight Hendrickson. You never hear from him again. Right, right. Um, you know, by the end of this season, it'll end up, this will be my 40th episode. And it's wow. like, okay. Jeez. All right. That's great, you dude. Know? I, I got to tell you, man, uh, a lot, I mean, millions of people, I, well, thousands, maybe a couple, were asking how Christian gets a spot there (laughs) (laughs) and the human suplex machine doesn't. I'm a little confused on this. What the hell happened? Don't worry. I got the same text from Dreamer, like, immediately. (laughs) 
didn't know that. That's funny. <laughs> it's the right away. He was like, "Hey, maybe I could be like you know deputy." <laughs> <laughs> I know you can lock me up. I could be like incarcerated. Just then, kill me off, blow me away. It'd be great. Uh, but nah, it, I, I, you still keeping in a lot of touch. I'm sure with Jay, with Christian. I'm sure you guys are very tight. I'm assuming you guys are still friends. Oh yeah, yeah. Still, I mean, we we had our our daughters within six weeks of each other, oh, which nice. is just another one of the like when I sit back and look at our lives and how they've paralleled and and all the things that we did together. I think the key for us was the fact that we were friends before wrestling. Yes, and we met in the sixth grade, and then we we just we stayed together. You know, I didn't know you guys went that far. I didn't. Know, I'm sorry. I didn't know you went that far back. Really, sixth yeah. grade. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I think that was key. You know, it was like we, you know, no matter what, we were going to stay in contact. Cause, I mean, we met when we were 10 years old. Yeah. I and mean, we have yeah. been friends for 31 years now. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and going through all of that together, we can relate to all of that. We were in that zoo. We were in that shark tank together. So you, you ride up and down those roads. You know how it is. Yep. You, you you build that bond, but we already had the bond from public school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's cemented for life. And now, now we're in a new, new kind of time in our lives where we're both dads at the same time. Well, what's that like, bro? I mean, how do you like being a dad? I know I personally love being a dad. How do you like being a dad? It's so much fun. Yeah. I, but I will be completely honest. It is so tiring, <laughs> <laughs> and so like. I am so tired all the time because maintaining the hours on set and then coming back and want it, wanting to be, you know, dad. Yeah, you're always on. And how, how old? How old's your daughter? I'm sorry. How old is she again? She, she's 11 months old. All right. Well, it's gonna get better. You know, so you'll get yeah. to sleep a little bit. You know, you will. Well, and that I'm, that's, I'm looking to that that ray of sunshine. I'm like, okay, it's gonna happen. I know it's gonna happen. It will. But the, the one thing I looked at, it was like, you know what? I'm maintaining, you know, basically a, a, a full time character on a TV series hours and being a dad, and I'm pulling it off. I don't know how well, but I'm pulling it off. So. <laughs> well, you, you put a, you put your best effort in everything you do, and you obviously hit hit the high note each time. I, I you know, and I, I got to ask you this, not not to really get off topic, but just because I think your fans would probably want to know. I mean, do you still stay on top of? Do you still get a chance much to watch uh, your pro wrestling programming, sports entertainment? Not not as much, not not nearly as much. Um, you know, there was a period where I didn't watch at all. I really, I just, you know, I we've likened it to like it was maybe a little bit of a detox, almost. Like yeah. I just had to, I had to get away from it for a while, and I, you know, part of the deal was I couldn't do it anymore. There wasn't a choice, so I didn't really want to watch it, and took some steps away from it. And then I, you know, I always keep keep my ear to it though. And Jay was, you know, still there and everything, and my still got buddies there, so I right. Little by little, I'd watch something, you know, I'd watch a little bit more, and then uh, they uh, they asked me to do a special for the network with Jay, and uh, so I went down and did it, and I was like, by the way, I don't have a network, can I get the network, like, you know, <laughs> can I get a code or something? Like, so, so they gave me a code, and I got it, and then I'm up here in Canada, and it wasn't working, so it finally started working again the other day. Long story short is, what I have enjoyed watching is NXT, because I see a bunch of young, hungry people yep. down there, um, not resting on their laurels, not not uh, maybe a little less parameters handcuff-wise. Yeah, they're not, micro, they're not micromanaged. 
Hopefully. I don't know if they are. But I don't think they are. Not. I don't think, sorry, I don't think they are, but uh, who knows? I might have heard wrong. Um, and so that's been fun to watch, you know, young guys, and it kind of reminds me of, like, coming up in the Indies, and, and um, that's kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of the next step from the Indies now. And um, not that it's better or anything like well, that. It's let, just, let, me ask, it's Carol, let me ask you. Let me interrupt you. Let me ask you this question. Speaking on that, just your opinion. Uh, do you think that? Let's say you're right. Let's say, and pardon the pun to your point of next. Let's say that is the next, more or less, wave of how <clears throat> guys are going to come up. Guys and gals are going to come up into business, unlike how we did working small territories of independence. Do you think that that is the way it's going to go? And that's kind of a new wave of our industry, of the wrestling industry. And if so, do you think that's a bad thing? I think it could be both. And and I don't know which way it'll fall. From watching it, I see a guy like Sami Zayn, and I'm like, okay, they're letting him be him. Right. Cool. I agree. You know, and he came from Ring of Honor, and he came from working indies through Canada and all of that. So I think that can still make it there. Um I think what NXT is, is like, okay, we want to hone your style so that it can fit our TV product. Because you remember, like, even when Ray came in, Ray was smart. He was one of the guys that he immediately saw the difference in style from what he was doing in WCW, from what he was doing in ECW, from what he was doing in Mexico. He 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 was able to, to ugly it up and, and yeah. slow it down. And um, so he came in, but he'd already been working, you know, 10 years by that yes. point, 15 years. He started when he was 14 that, that, that was my or hardest, that, Bro, that was my hardest thing for me to do. I had a hard yeah. time making that transition, changing my style. I mean, I, I you know, I, that was tough for me to do. I'm going to be honest. It was. What? And that's what I think these guys and girls down in NXT are going to do there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I think that could be good as long as it doesn't become a conveyor belt of yeah. the same thing. Well, cookie but cutter stuff. Right, right. Yeah. But from watching it and seeing a guy like Tyler Breeze, seeing Sami Zayn, seeing the different shapes and sizes and styles, I'm like, okay, it doesn't seem to be that way. That That's very cool. As long as they get to the dance. See, so if they exactly. just... Right. You see, that's the thing. If they, if they bring them to the dance and sprinkle some of them in, which I think they're going to, they have to. That's their breeding ground. That's their grassroots. So I would think yeah. WWE, we know they're smart enough. Hunter's smart enough to do that. And Vince, and obviously, so and Stephanie. So I'm sure they will do the right thing with that. But so let me ask you, man. I, I get this question all the time. I know you have to ask, You get this question. If you, could, if you could wrestle one more match, you know, who would it be against? Uh, well, I always said, you know, Christian at WrestleMania in Toronto would would be the absolute perfect story. Okay, how about the second one? God, come on, you're killing me here with the Christian well, stuff. But, it, but it's true. <laughs> now, if you're talking anybody in history that I could hop in there with, I mean, uh, I'd, I'd want to get in with Brett. Okay, that's good. I, I, I agree with you on that one. I never got in there with him and never got to see what it could have been. So, like, Brett... Iron Man match, you know, and just go. And I, I think that would have been... Damn, you want to do an Iron Man match? I'll do a match with Brett, a TV match. Six minutes, I'm out. I'm good. <laughs> Six, seven minutes, that's yeah, all no I need. Yeah, no kidding, right? I'm like, yeah, one more match, make it an hour. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> hour? I'd be blown in the first two minutes. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm blown just thinking about it. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> no, that would be uh, that would be awesome. I, I mean, God, that would be a great. I'm sure if you were fantasy booking, fans would love to see Brett the Hitman Hard against the Rated R Superstar Edge. That would be awesome. So, bro, what's your goals now with acting? Are you got any anything uh, like you know? Do you want to go on the big screen you know, as far as movies as opposed to TV? Any auditions lined up? Anything like that you want to talk about? Tell your fans. Any, what's your what's your vision of your acting career? Well, I, you know, I want to take it forward, and I, I realize that that's uh, there's going to have to be patience involved because while I do have a fan base that comes with me, while I do have experience now, I'm still cutting my teeth. You know, I'm still at the NXT level essentially, mm-hmm. and and trying to to you know work toward whatever the next thing is. You know, we're wrapping up essentially two seasons out here. We've done 26 episodes. We're done in December, and I really just got to sit down, you know, for a little bit and just kind of recharge the batteries. Um, but now, you know, I, I, I bit the bullet and I have, you know, an agent in LA, I got an agent in Canada, I got a manager. I had to do all of that, you know, because yeah. that's, that's part of it. And, I, and that was strange for me because in wrestling, man, I just shook, shook Vince's hand and I'd get the contract in the mail and sign it. That was it. Yeah. I know the feeling. <laughs> it was that yeah. easy. I agree. It was. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, and and how there was you, no how, need for an agent. How do you feel? Like, how's your neck? How, how you getting tingling in your hand? I, I know I get it. I mean, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, when I first, I got the second surgery uh, two years ago, and I woke up out of surgery. I woke up in the hallway, and I didn't have a headache. I was like, whoa. Damn, I had a headache for like a decade. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize like what that felt like because it was my new normal, and then it was gone. And I was like, okay, this is a lot better. You know, I'm learning limitations as I go because you know I got the initial double fusion. Then this last one, they put in an artificial disc. They scrape back the spinal column to take the pressure off the cord. So you've had two neck surgeries. There's going to be some neck discomfort. You know, there's some days where you know if I have to do a scene, as stupid as it sounds. If I have to do a scene where I got to look over my shoulder a lot, my neck's going to bug me that night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just is, you know, and that's that's just life now. So you realize your limitations, you know, chin-ups aren't happening anymore, but who cares? <laughs> <laughs> they were overrated um, anyway, chin-ups. <laughs> yeah, no more shoulder press, but who cares? <laughs> so you, you just figure out how to, uh, what your new your new boundaries are, you know, and, um, and that's not only physically, but also just from the job. It's like, okay, this is, like I said, it's a, it's a different branch on the same tree, but there's still new elements that I'm learning. And that goes back to my body now with where it's at, at 41 years old, you know, well, for the most part, man, I can hop on my mountain bike. I can, I can get in the gym. Um, you know, I can get down on the floor with my baby. So, I, you know, I don't got any complaints. You know, I, I look at it it's like I gave everything that I absolutely had in there, so I don't regret that, and, and I can still move around. That's great, man. And I got to tell you, uh, it, it, over the years, becoming friends with you, getting to know you, spending time in WWE with you, I, I've always said this to people. I mean, one of the, the best guys, good quality human beings that I've ever come across in my career was you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart, bro. You know me well enough. I don't kiss nobody's ass. I don't have to. But you've always, always been a super solid human being. I remember when we did WrestleMania in Toronto, and we were all there, and you were like the quasi-chaperone telling all the boys, go to this gym, go eat here. go." You kind of were helping everybody out that whole week, and you didn't have to do any of that stuff. And it was like... I mean, you just if when 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 there were shows in New York, I I hid in my basement. I didn't want to help nobody. You know, so, 
<laughs> well, you know, it's <laughs> thanks for saying that. You know, I it's it's like any you know I've had my my stumbles and my missteps, but I always learn from them. So that's if nothing right. else, that's that's all you can do. Then you don't you can't look at it as a mistake. It's Amen. Like, I I dropped the ball here, but I picked it up and I I just walked on, and yeah. that's all you can do. Well, in your case, yeah. you dropped the puck, and then you you. you know, <laughs> Nice, nice. That's better. Oh, well, look, man, I I appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome uh, just catching up with you in front of the public like this, which I think is cool, and on this podcast, on on my show, and and, and I'm I'm so uh, fortunate to have you and give me the opportunity to interview you and just talk with you, catch up with you publicly, and, and it's been great having you on. And for those fans out there that, if you're not following Edge, you should, on Twitter, he's at Edge rated R. So check him out on Twitter. He's got a plethora of followers because he's over like crazy. But, um, <laughs> bro, it's been great <laughs> catching up with you, man. I'm serious. Well, no, you know what was great? And, and for fans that are listening to this, we really, like, we talked for a second before we started. Oh, yeah. So they've really heard us catching up, which <laughs> me is, is, would be awesome as a fan just to, like, sit there and go, man, these guys are just shooting the shit after nine years. Ding. Exactly, bro, and that and that's the truth. So you know what? I'll probably talk to you in another nine years. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, we definitely stay in touch. But I'm going to keep an eye on your acting career because I, I I think you're going to do some big things, man. I really mean that. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. I'm going to keep plugging away. That's all I can do. All right, man. To catch catch Edge on the Sci-Fi Network on Haven, it's great. And follow him on Twitter, like I said, at Edge Rated R. Bro, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. And best of luck to you and your new baby and your family and all your success. Keep rolling, brother. Thanks, man. Hey, the Human Podcast Machine will be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Boys and girls, pull up your stools. It is now time for Taz Tales. So I got to tell you, one of the um, probably top two or three things that ever happened to me positively in my career was my debut at Madison Square Garden uh, for the WWE. At the time, it was the WWF. And uh, it was against the Olympic gold medalist who was undefeated at the time, Kurt Angle. And it was at the Royal Rumble. Uh, it was the year 2000 just kicked off. And uh, I, I was coming off of uh, you know a great... Uh, a proud, not not bragging, but a great run in ECW and as an ECW champ and all this jazz and and I was going to get the debut in my hometown of Madison Square Garden, which was just amazing for me. So I I I, I had been I had been seen on WWE TV a couple of years prior when we were doing like a legitimate ECW invasion type thing. Uh, so I. Walked through the crowd holding a sign years back that said Taz, uh, Sabu Fierce Taz, and and stuff like that. I wrestled Mikey Whipwreck on a, a Monday Night Raw. But this this debut of Taz years later in the year 2000 at the Royal Rumble at the Garden, um, the WWE version of Taz basically has never been seen. So, um, driving to the to the masses to Master Square Garden from my home on Long Island was just a surreal moment. I mean, because I, I had so many things going through my head, you know. I mean, it, it's only a, you know, you know, whatever a, four, a thirty-five minute drive from Long Island to Garden with traffic, maybe take you four or five days. 
But, uh, <laughs> you know, New Yorkers and folks from Jersey know what I mean. But anyway, um, so I was in a little traffic, and I got to thinking, and I shut the radio off in the car, and, and I just was thinking, man, about just reflecting back on my career, you know, and, and, and just coming up the hard way and working small shows, at, you know, little buildings in Brooklyn and Queens and working in basement churches and stuff like that, you know, wrestling and stuff, and, 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 and in little seedy gyms and making, you know, 40 bucks a match and stuff like that and just really struggling. And my girlfriend, who's my wife now, helping support me then and living in a basement, just having nothing. And and it's come full circle. And here I am having my first match ever, you know, in my hometown at the world's most famous arena of Madison Square Garden against an Olympic gold medalist. And I started thinking about what I'm grateful for while I was driving. And I thought about ECW because I felt like that was truly the platform that pole vaulted me right into the WWF or WWE, and um, and I I contacted Paul Heyman while I was driving, and I I, I wanted to thank him, you know, and I I've said this publicly before, um, probably on some WWE programming, but uh, I wanted to publicly thank him for the opportunities he's given me, and 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 for building me and believing in me when no one else believed in me, and that's what I thanked him for, and it was. Because we had a little bit of a, you know, stressed out relationship because the way that, that I was leaving ECW, and even though I gave ample notice, he thought we had come to terms, and 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 I didn't, and I left, and well, that's a whole nother task tales we'll get into down the road. But uh, So I thanked Paul, and he told me I was going to knock it out of the park. He goes, you're going to be great, um, you know, and he wished me luck, and, and he told me he loved me. I told him I love you, man, and... and and boom, I get into the garden, and it's like, uh, you know, so here we go. And um, got with Kurt Angle, talked with him, and I think our agent was Jerry Briscoe. And uh, we had went over the match, you know, because I was new, and there was no, like, they weren't trying me out on some house show somewhere, like in Lansing, Michigan, you know. It was like, here you go, we're throwing you right out in the garden. So I had the benefit of living close to the studio in Connecticut, so I would go there and work out a couple of weeks prior, because I, I thought maybe I had some ring rust on me, because there was a gap of a, a month and a half or so that I, I, I was done wrestling for ECW, so I wanted to stay in ring shape. So I went and wrestled in the WWE's ring in Connecticut, and uh, one of those times Kurt was there and and Kurt and I worked out and, and stuff like that because I never wrestled Kurt and uh, so we could go out and have a great match at the garden and um, so I you know what happens during this match is I'm, uh, I'm sorry but during the show I should say people starting to file in the building I was nervous all day I mean why wouldn't I be I was very nervous and and um, but I was very excited and uh, you know I, I, we were going to be the first segment so uh, the arena starts filling up and I, I'm look, peeking through the curtain in the gorilla position. Now, the gorilla position is a holding area where a gentleman by the name of Bruce Pritchett used to run the gorilla position for many years for the WWE. And Vince McMahon also obviously sits in the gorilla position um, along with the agent for that match. So in this case, it would have been Jerry Briscoe. Now, the gorilla position was named the gorilla position in honor of the late great Gorilla Monsoon. So that that's that's that that's uh, one of the greatest Hall of Famers in the history of our business uh, in Gorilla Monsoon, and that's in honor of Gorilla, because Gorilla and Vince McMahon and Vince's dad they were all very very close, like like just one big family, and and who did not love the great Gorilla Monsoon? So anyway, the Gorilla position was named after him. So I'm peeking through the curtain, and uh, I uh, you know 
I'm seeing that this place is getting pretty full, right? So it's like, you know, this is getting really crowded and there's a lot of seats and they're filling up fast. And I'm starting to see fans with ECW shirts and ECW Taz shirts and and a couple of Taz signs as they're walking with these orange and black signs. I'm like, all right, so a few people know me because I was concerned. I was nervous that no one would know who I was. That was my big concern. I'm going to walk out there. They've never heard or seen my face in this build-up, all they seen was this tribal logo that's orange and black with a heartbeat, boom, 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 with number 13 in the middle of it, flash up randomly during WWE programming and matches for weeks building up to my debut. So I'm thinking, well, maybe a couple people will know who I am. And, and, and I, you know, Kurt goes out, cuts his promo, sets the table, never says who his unnamed opponent was, and he kind of is taking his heel slant, obviously, in this promo. And, I, you know, I look at Bruce Pritchard, I'm like, man, and he's got the headsets on. He's the guy who gets the cue from the TV truck from a gentleman by the name of Kevin Dunn, the ex- senior executive producer for WWE Programming. He gets the cue from Kevin. All right, tell Taz to go in three, two, one. Boom, they hit Taz's music. I pick my spot. I go, that type of thing. That's kind of the way that works. And Bruce is the, the middleman of telling you when to go or not go. So Bruce Pritchard, I look at him, I said, man, I tell you, dude, I... Uh, you know, I, I hope they know who I am. He goes, well, I, I, you know, we'll see. I mean, you're going to go here in about 30, 30, 40 seconds. He was more concerned about business, you know. Sure enough, uh, Kurt says, now, come on out here, whoever my own name opponent is, and give it your all, or something like that. And and they hit that with the logo. The place explodes. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps saying it right now, and the whole building just exploded. The reaction was crazy. Before I even walked through the curtain, fans were holding up signs with my name on it. Some was spelled T-A-Z. Some was spelled T-A-Z-Z. So I don't know, I don't, you know, but because my spelling in ECW was T-A-Z and with WWE it was T-A-Z-Z. So they were all orange and black stuff. There were fans with Taz shirts on. And they just, they just went crazy when that heartbeat tribal logo hit. And Bruce Pritchett looked at me. He goes, bro, I think they know who you are. He said, go. And as soon as I walked through that curtain, uh, and I had the towel on my head, the place was going nuts. And I took about six, maybe seven steps. And it's going to sound crazy. But I realized in that moment that I was doomed. And, and I know it's like, wow, why were you doomed? This should have been like an amazing moment. It was amazing. But I realized, and I was smart enough, and I've been around the business years enough to realize that that reaction was not built by that monstrous machine. So I might have a little bit of an uphill battle here, meaning my career, <laughs> you know, in the WWE, because it was like I was a made guy already, and I didn't know I was going to be that made, but I was. I mean, so uh, that little regional TV we had all those years in EC Dub and all that stuff uh, and, and the legacy that the territory was building was bigger than I thought it was. Um, and I got a ring with Kurt and I was amped up. So was he. And we just started going at it and place was going crazy. And, and it was a spot in that match where I went to hit a uh, release German suplex on Kurt. And when I hooked him for the suplex, our timing was off. And my whole thing, I guess I have to expose this, but my whole thing in the business was with my suplexes, I never wanted my opponent to jump. I never wanted help. I would always be able to complete the throw, and I pride myself on having the power, the grip strength, the ability, the physicality, and the technique 
to complete the throw without you helping me. And and also my number one priority was to protect my opponent. And and I told Kurt, don't jump, just yeah, no problem, no problem. Kurt just wants to put on the best show he can. And Kurt and I didn't really have a, a rhythm yet or a chemistry. So, I mean, I think he went to jump. My timing was off. It was my fault, not Kurt's. So I, I double-clutched him. I put him back down, kept my grip, and then suplexed him so he couldn't jump. I took his timing and made it my own and released him, and he landed, thank God, safely, no problem, and the place went crazy. But that little bit of a faux pas I knew might be a problem because it, it just was a glitch, a bad glitch that looked unsafe. And I wasn't the only one who thought that might look unsafe <clears throat> because after the match happened and I went backstage when I walked through the gorilla position, you know, uh, it wasn't like high five. Hey, Taz, you're great. Welcome aboard, buddy. You're the man. Great job. No, it was like no one was near me. I walked through that curtain. I looked at Bruce and he because he had to sit there. I think he could, if he could have left, he would have left, too. Because uh, Vince, Vince McMahon was not sitting there anymore. He was when I initially went out. And Bruce looked at me. He goes, good, good, like that. I goes, Kurt, okay? And he goes, yeah, I think he's okay. Because they had a stretcher come out for him and all that because of the choke. And um, and I walked, everywhere I walked, it was like I had a pile of dog poo-poo all over my body because people were just, like, avoiding me. So I was like, I think that's called heat. So <laughs> I don't know what I did to have this heat, but no one wanted to be near me. You know, and it was like really strange, and no one really said, Great job, congrats. This, it was just weird. It was, I'm not blaming the wrestlers. It was just, I think something happened. Maybe, I don't know what happened. I, you know, I, I wasn't backstage, I was in the ring. Do you think there's some, maybe some uh, jealousy involved? Are you getting the big uh, push the weeks leading into that? Do you think some of the guys might have uh, said, Oh, this guy, look at it, he, he almost hurt Kurt or whatever? Do you think there's some. I think it was more, I don't think it was a jealousy thing because, you know, when you're in the business at the highest level, you're used to guys coming in, making a big splash, getting a push, getting a debut. So that's part of the game. You know, that's part of being competitive. I don't think it was that. I think it was more of the front office was angry at me because they thought that I almost hurt Kurt Angle, a guy who had a lot of money in, and a guy who, if unbeknownst to them, you couldn't hurt Kurt if you tried, okay? He's probably the toughest guy ever to lace a pair of pro wrestling boots. Okay, so I, I wasn't trying to hurt Kurt. My goal was not to hurt Kurt. Kurt and I laughed about it, and we still laugh about it, to be honest. We're still close friends, I mean. But I think it was more of a thing where some of the guys realized that maybe the front office was angry at me, and they didn't want to get that anger on them. So they avoided me. Just not the, I don't think it was personal against me. It just was a strange thing, you know. And so you feel like you're in the doghouse then, and then yeah. if you were, like, did you ever really feel like you ever got out of it completely? Uh, I, I did derailed you a little bit. It did derail me, and it slowed me down. I mean, I was in the doghouse as soon as I walked in the yard. I mean, I just walked in the yard. I was approaching the doghouse, and 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 just looked at the doghouse. Now I'm in it. You know, what I mean, like, and and I knew that the next day because the next day was Monday Night Raw in Philadelphia, and uh, you know, call time was 1 p.m. for all talent. So I used to get there a half hour early. So I got there at 12:30, and when I pulled up, parked my car where the wrestlers park. Uh, I think it was Bruce Pritchett, Pat Patterson, and uh, Jerry Briscoe were waiting for me. And it was like, wow. 
I knew that I thought they would be in a production meeting or an agent meeting or something. And they said hello to me. I said, hey, what's up, guys? And they said, hey, can you put your stuff down in the locker room, whatever, and, you know, whatever you got to do, grab a cup of coffee, whatever, and then just meet us about 15 minutes in whatever room they were in, 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 the, in the arena in Philadelphia. We need to sit down with you. I said, okay, yeah, no problem. I said, is everything okay? They go, yeah, yeah, we just have to talk to you. I said, okay. So I knew something wasn't cool. So... <clears throat> I, I, I go about my business, and like 10 minutes later, I walk into this room they told me to meet them at. I go in this room with, with Pat, Bruce, and Jerry, and, and they, were, they were great. They were awesome. They just they told me, listen, man, you're here for the long run. Vince knows that. Vince loves you, but we, we, we want to make things right for you here. We, we don't want guys not to want to wrestle you. We want to make things right. We, we don't want you to come off as you're dangerous. I go, I, I'm confused. What am I? What's dangerous? They go, well, you know, the suplex was a little funky, whatever they said. They didn't say funky, but a little funky or whatever. Last night with Kurt, and it looked like you almost broke his neck. I go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, whoa. That's not what happened. I said, I actually put him back down because our timing was off. It was my fault, the timing. Kurt was trying to just do the right thing. So I put him back down so he could clear the mat without hurting himself. I said, I actually was protecting him. And they were like, oh. They, didn't, they just didn't realize that because, you know, for whatever reason. And they go, like, look, just, just you know, let's just maybe alter a little bit of some of the way you do things. Just be a little smarter so you can make money, we can make money, and everything's cool. I'm like, okay, no problem. I'm not going to give them pushback, you know? Do you think, because the way you were booked in ECW, it was so realistic. And I was a wrestling fan, and I knew all about wrestling as much as I could know. But your character was played so well and so realistic that they think maybe you actually did have a chip on your shoulder and you were that, you are an angry guy, but maybe they thought yeah. because of that character that maybe you were you yeah. know, taking liberties? Totally. Yeah, I think that they bought into it, which meant I did my job and meant that, that ECW and Paul Heyman and, and the, the great guys I wrestled all those years that made me in ECW, that, uh, that we all did our job. And they believed that I was this sort-off, angry killer you know, to a degree, that was maybe angry and you know, and, and had a chip on his shoulder and didn't care about business. Um, I do also think, in defense to the WWE, that when they say to me, "We want you to make money and we want to make money with you, and we want you to be successful," we're on the same team. They meant that, and it was a different mentality in that locker room. So they didn't want me to come in as a newer guy getting a bad reputation right away. I think Vince McMahon and company was actually protecting me. At the time, I was angry about it and I was a little disgruntled. That was me being immature. I should now, years later, I think what Vince McMahon did with me was good. Because he was actually helping me. I didn't realize it then. Hey, the human podcast machine will be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. How dare you challenge me with your so-called kung fu? You don't have a chance. I have to practice harder to beat the White Lotus. Hey! All right, that's what they call a rap. So, uh... I had a lot. Of, I had a lot of fun, man. I had a blast. I hope you guys did too. I mean, I, I, I uh, before I get into my thank yous here, really quick, and before we wrap this thing up, I, I just want to say, look, I, I'm not, I'm not like reinventing the wheel here. 
I'm just giving my thoughts, opinions, and statements on the pro wrestling business or sports entertainment as a whole. I have a lot of feelings and thoughts and things that go through my head. I have to get them out. I can't hold them in. And that's where this comes into play. And who better than to share that with than you, my fans, or, or newer fans, or just fans of wrestling that, that are inter- interested in, in another wrestling podcast. And, and, and But I'm giving you a different, uh, you know, some credibility, behind-the-scenes stuff, pulling back the curtain. And that's what this is about. I mean, I, I'm trying to be a little different. It's hard, again, to reinvent the wheel, and I'm not, and I'm not doing that. But I just wanted to tell you guys that part right there. I also want to thank Edge for being a great guest uh, for Ed sharing his thoughts and opinions about uh, 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 where he's going to you know, head with his acting career. And I really think this guy's going to skyrocket in acting. I hope he does anyway. I think he will. Uh, and his, 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 his feelings and, and giving up his insight to his amazing wrestling career and his reign as champion every, uh, throughout WWE at so many different levels. And also, you know, talking with Edge a little bit and catching up with him about him and Christian just recently visiting... Uh, WWE land, you know, and talking about his appearance on Raw and, and on WWE programming and all that stuff. So it was great catching up with Edge on that. I would also like to thank my producer, Seth, who is just doing a great job already out of the box by making this show sound awesome. And that's all promise here from Seth and myself and everybody who works here around Seth from a technical standpoint and a corporate standpoint. A lot of things and people were involved to make this thing happen. So we're going to do this every week. And speaking of every week, Keep an eye on my my Twitter because uh, we'll drop info on who the guests will be at at official Taz with one Z, and we'll also drop info on the, the Taz at Taz podcast again one Z. What uh, what what guests will be on? The show will drop every Thursday morning, very very early in the morning, so you guys can have it on your way to work if you're in traffic or if you go to the gym early or just want to have it on your phone for your lunch break or whatever, or, or you're going to the gym after work, whatever, or school or whatever you guys are doing, you know, so you have it. So it's going to drop very early on Thursdays, Mondays and or Tuesdays. Uh, we will tweet who the guests will be that week for the most part. That's how this is going to go. So every week, uh, you, you know, you're going to have me out here, the Human Podcast machine doing his thing uh talking about a great topic with a great guest and again you could find the show tell your friends and family you could find it on radio.com or or uh, play.it or obviously at uh at uh, on itunes so uh and 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 again most importantly i look man i, I just want to thank you guys because without you don't there is no show I appreciate you, uh, uh, you know, taking the time to download this and or subscribing and and listening to me here and just 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 and and just just stick around, man. I mean, every week it's going to be great. So I can't thank you enough for that. I appreciate the support more than you know. I will be back next week. I'm Taz. You're not.